two years ago, I left a job at an institution that was run by my birth church. It was, to put it mildly, hellish. It was the most toxic, disorganized, misogynistic, homophobic, transphobic workplace I have ever heard of, much less been a part of. I stuck it out for two years, then left as soon as I could find another job. Then the messages started coming. Would you consider coming back? Would you be interested in filling our job opening? Would you like to return? I said no every time, as nicely as I could. Finally, I met with a department director in person and said no in person. She said, I'm confused. If you're not interested in coming back, why did you accept this meeting? I said, well, I've tried saying no over the phone and via email to the other people who have asked me the same question, and it doesn't seem to have stuck. I'm hoping that saying no in person will have a different result. I haven't heard back since, though that department director is an interim employee, so we'll see what happens when her successor comes in. Suffice it to say that my birth church is not great at understanding the word no. I can't tell you how many times I was coerced into spending time with boys who repulsed me, all because my parents ignored my no's, and on two occasions rebuked me for saying no in the first place. On the most recent occasion, I was 26 years old and decided after two dates that I didn't want to see a certain man again. My parents had never met this man. He was a total stranger to them. They lived across the country. I was completely independent from them. But immediately after I told them of my decision, they jumped on it. My father asked, what made you decide that? My mother said, you know, it took me a while to warm up to your father. My father said, you know, mental illness runs in our family, so maybe you shouldn't rely on what your emotions are telling you. I still shake with anger when I think about this episode. I still cannot believe my parents would not support me in something as basic as saying no to a date. And yet, at the same time, I can believe it. Remember the job from hell I told you about? When I told a friend that they wanted me back, he said, Oh, hell no. My parents said, Oh, cool. What did you say? I wanted to tell them, Well, let's see. Given what I've told you about the extreme, outspoken misogyny and homophobia I experienced in that workplace, and given my identity as a human being, a woman, and a bi person, what do you think I said? But I didn't say that. I didn't think it would do much good. These are not people I can be honest with. These are not people I can open up to. See above, RE, choosing my own dates. I've written a metric ton about my parents. I have never revealed any of it before. Today, however, I want to share part of a poem I read about them. The poem reads, I maintain, I can prioritize quiet time and self-care without stigma. I can say no to a date I dread, even if you urge me to go. I can choose my church. I can ask you to tell only true stories about me. I can keep secrets from you. I can have a life apart from you. I can choose my own care plan for mental illness. 
I can choose my own books and movies and music and TV shows. I can choose to live differently from you without the automatic judgment of difference being wrongness. I want to be taken seriously, to not be analyzed or generalized or preached at or humored or talked over or around or through. I want someone like Hawk in season one of Scandal who sees his stoic boss crying and asks simply, what do you need? Then stands guard in silence while she takes her one deep breath. I need time and space and sleep and regular meals and long solo walks in the sunshine with my music. I need the freedom, culturally and personally, to step away and handle toxic relationships with grace and serenity, to become the kind, contributing, balanced adult I used to feel like. I want, if I ever have children of my own, to help them become inquisitive, adventurous, conscientious, respectful, confident feminists studying whatever they want in school, becoming whatever they want in life, loving whoever they love in the world, asking whatever questions they have. I want them to take ballet if they want to take ballet. I want them to try out for plays if they want to try out. If they want to play soccer or basketball or lacrosse, I will be there to cheer them on and host team picnics. I will not tell them they have my hips, my legs, or my hand-eye coordination. They will own their own bodies, and their own will be enough to carry them to their dreams. I want them to know they can tell me anything. I want them to know that I will always love them first, before I weigh in on their choices and selves. I want them to have a say in what pictures are taken of them, and how those photographs are used. I want them to dance anytime, anywhere they want without waiting for me to leave the house. I know that every new parent makes grand promises, that expectations can wither quickly in the face of reality. But if I do one thing differently, if I shine a light on one of my shadows, it will be this one. My daughter will not greet her first period with fear and confusion and shame. She will be supported and knowledgeable and loved. I will take her out for cupcakes or gelato or whatever she prefers, including nothing if that is what she wants, and take her seriously when she says she is in pain. She will have hygiene products in her size, in a cute pouch to carry to school, and I will make sure she knows how to use them and does not feel ashamed. I do not want my children to grow up afraid of Thanksgiving, of camping trips, of reading in the living room, of speaking in the house, of fighting in the house, of bringing back books from the library, of talking to boys, of not talking to boys, of saying no to dates, of saying yes to dates, of getting their ears pierced at age 22, of asking questions, of giving feedback, of harps, of wrestling, of watching the Olympics, of showing emotion, of joining a fandom, of wearing nice clothes, of wearing makeup, of asking for help, 
of seeking out medical care, of swimming, of walking on the beach in winter, of going running, of playing the piano, of washing their faces, of drinking from plastic bottles, of going out in the sun. I should not have had these fears, but I did, I do, and if I have any choice in the matter, they will end with me. These fears stop here. They will go no farther. There is a turnstile in this path with a sign saying, you must be this legitimate to pass. And I am slowly unfolding the truth that these fears do not qualify, that I must leave them in the road while I glide through on my way to living my best life and enabling the same and those who walk with me. Because at the end of the day, this is all you can do with shame, all you can do with fear, with rage, with grief. You can look ahead and promise that you will not pass these debts along. I have no intention of excusing my parents' behavior but I do wonder if part of their behavior is due to the fact that the church they grew up in, the same church they raised me in, is not big on consent. It's big on hierarchy. It's big on team spirit. That church has a strong missions emphasis, and I couldn't tell you how many times I've heard stories about missionaries being persistent and breaking people down until they finally agree to Bible studies. As a young missionary myself, at no point was I trained to accept people's no's gracefully, respect their decision, and move on. I was taught to persist, to ask why they refused Bible studies, to try to get to the bottom of their mindset towards my birth church so I could fix their misconceptions and persuade them that my birth church was, in fact, the one true church, the remnant church that they needed to join in order to be saved. I will begrudgingly admit that this is an okay marketing strategy. Open a dialogue with the customer, get the why behind their no, see if you can change their mind. And if you're in the camp that believes churches need to market themselves better with the most modern marketing strategies, then you might be a fan of this approach. While I might admit that churches need to market themselves better, I guess, I will also say that I think many marketing strategies go too far. I think they too often disrespect people's right to say no. Too many churches seek to scare and confuse and say, we're the only way to truly know God. We have the secret to eternal life. Without us, you're doomed. I am so lucky to belong to a church that seeks to build relationships with no other motive than making the other person feel heard. We don't seek to draw that person into our church membership. We make it clear that we're present for however long that person needs us. If we're a stop on the road of their spiritual journey, that's okay. If we're the lifelong home they've been looking for, that's okay. We don't have this remnant church mentality that my birth church has. We don't believe we're the only way to God, the small gate and the narrow road that lead to life. It's unbelievably refreshing. Some have criticized my new church for its lack of public evangelism. 
We don't post huge billboards along the freeway or pitch big tents and hold massive evangelistic series. We don't rent out public pools to perform mass baptisms. I like that about my new church. It's such a wonderful change. Before, I felt like just a number, just another cog in the mission machine, only as useful as the number of people I brought to that church. There's a belief in that church that for every soul you bring to the church, there will be a star in your crown in heaven. And when I told an old boss from my birth church that I was leaving that church, she responded, that makes me very sad. You have so much to offer. My new church doesn't view me like that. It doesn't see me as useful. It sees me as beloved. Here, there's no talk of how many stars you'll have in your crown in heaven. Far more often, there's talk of how surprised we'll be to see the diversity of everyone who's there. I like that. I often think ruefully about the joke where St. Peter is taking a newcomer on a tour of heaven. He points out the chocolate trees and the lemonade fountains, the sea of glass and the streets of gold. Then they get to a walled compound. The newcomer asks, what's that? St. Peter says, that's where the fundamentalists live. They like to pretend they're the only ones here. I am so glad to belong to a church that believes that the truth is a big group project where everyone contributes, some more than others, of course, in the spirit of group projects everywhere. We don't believe we have a corner on the truth. Our presiding bishop, Michael Curry, likes to refer to us as the Episcopal branch of the Jesus movement. I like that. I want to be a part of something that's bigger than just what's familiar to me. I want to get to heaven and be surprised. Today's blessing is from one of my favorite saints, St. Clair of Assisi. It reads, May Almighty God bless you. May he look upon you with the eyes of his mercy and give you his peace. Here below, may he pour forth his graces on you abundantly, and in heaven, may he place you among his saints. Amen.